Welcome to On the Ballot with Ballotpedia, where we take a closer look at the top political stories of the day. Ballotpedia connects people to politics by providing neutral, nonpartisan, and reliable information on our government, how it works, and where it's headed. I'm Editor-in-Chief Jeff Palais. Thanks for being with us. Today, we're joined by Rich Cohen, chief author of The Almanac of American Politics. Rich can correct me if I'm wrong, but The Almanac's first edition came out in 1972, which would make this... The 30th edition or so, give or take. Roughly 26. Right, 26. I can do math. It is a resource filled with valuable information, including profiles of all 535 members of Congress, all 50 governors and more elected officials, plus analysis of voter turnout and redistricting, and an in-depth look at the 2022 midterms, campaign finance data, and more. I'm a proud owner of my almanacs. They sit very uh, nice in my bookshelf, and I'm happy to say that Ballopedia helped contribute to the production of the almanacs in prior years. So, Rich, thanks for coming on the show. It is great to see you. My pleasure, and good to be with you again, Jeff. Uh, I've enjoyed our relationship in the past and our uh, continuing contacts. Yeah, we first got to know each other uh, almost a decade ago, first talking about uh, the almanac and how Ballopedia could help, uh, which we did in the 2016 and 2018 editions. But some of my favorite conversations we had were about redistricting. And we're, we're right in the middle of what I like to call the mid-decade redistrictings, which occur because it doesn't just happen right after the census and then it's done for 10 years because there are always maps thrown out and new maps made. But you've been on the redistricting bandwagon for, for quite a long time. You have some amazing stories from when you used to cover it. Can you tell our listeners about what was life like covering redistricting in the 1970s and 80s when no one else really seemed to care. Thank you for asking that. And uh, I'm glad to talk about redistricting and all sorts of political weirdnesses. When I was a reporter covering Congress at a magazine called National Journal, which sadly passed on, but I was a reporter there for the better part of uh, for more than 30 years. And every uh, 10 years at showed interest and wrote about uh, redistricting uh, in the various states. And frankly, back in the 1980s and 1990s, my colleagues, my editors at National Journal thought that my interest in uh, redistricting was peculiar, to say the least. There's a lot more interest now by the public, by political, by the political community, uh, greater interest now than there was uh, 30, 40 years ago. But uh, it was important then, and and obviously remains important. What struck me way back in in the in the in those days is that there were some real political insiders who mastered uh, redistricting. Probably the the best known, most effective was a congressman from California named Phil Burton, who had the seat now held by Nancy Pelosi in San Francisco. Phil Burton in the state of California with all with 50 plus districts had uh, the fate of Republican and Democratic members of uh, the, the House from California completely in his hand. He controls how the maps were drawn, uh, what were the political consequences. And uh, he was not only skillful, he was ruthless. I enjoyed uh, writing about him then. Uh, and and back, frankly, back in those uh, years, back in those days, there was he, Phil Burton and other uh, redistricting experts uh, didn't have the kind of computer resources that we have available now. So a lot of the uh, redistricting information was in his head, impressive in, in its own way to yeah. know, uh, you know, how to uh, affect political outcomes up and down the state of California. Uh, and he just did it by mastering the data. 
It's gotten a lot more sophisticated. I mean, the term gerrymandering has been around since the early 1800s. So it's it's gone on forever. It's just that in the last decade or so, it's it's gotten a lot more attention because the sophistication through these computers has really changed things. Were they using computers much for in the 80s and 90s from what you recall covering it? Or did it really only just start with the 2000s? No, no. By the 1990s, uh, there was extensive use of computers, obviously not quite as sophisticated as, as now. But uh, I think... Uh, my sense is that redistricting really came into its own, became a significant factor beyond what I described earlier with Phil Bird in California. It became a, a significant political factor in the 1992 cycle because, as has been written by various folks, that's when Republicans nationwide decided to work with African-Americans in various states, especially in the South, to increase uh, or in many cases create uh, African-American districts in states that had not had them. And that was good for African-Americans, but it tended to be bad for white Democrats and for Democrats generally. And therefore, it was good for Republicans. And we're still, frankly, we're seeing the results, uh, ramifications of uh, those uh, racial changes. That's, that, too, has become more sophisticated. Uh, we can talk more about this uh, if you'd like. But even today, we're doing this on Wednesday, September 6th. There was a, a federal court ruling in Alabama trying to figure out w whether the state should have a second black majority district uh, in the court. Federal court said yes. Balpedia, as we talked about a moment ago, uh, has already kind of written about that for its readers. So this is a new degree of sophistication. Sure. We could talk redistricting all day, but let's move on to the topic at hand, which is the Almanac. So if you cover and follow American politics, then you know what the Almanac is. But many of our listeners, Rich, probably don't know. So for those of them who don't, what is the Almanac for American politics? And uh, why is it such an important resource that you and your team set out to create each cycle? This is uh, the hefty 2,100-page edition, uh, which was we just published a couple weeks ago. It, uh, as you said earlier, Jeff, it's been published every two years since 1972. It was started at a stroke of brilliance by a guy named Michael Barone, uh, who was fortunately still with us. And so he was chief author of the Almanac uh, after having created it in 1972. He remained chief author for the next 44 years, which to me is uh, kind of an awesome accomplishment. And he uh, he has all that data, lots of data in his head. Uh, and he he decided briefly with some uh, some. Uh, college class, former college classmates, that there was a need for something called the Almanac at the time in the early 1970s because the protesters of the Vietnam War, who as they were lobbying Congress and their local members of Congress and the Senate and the House, there really wasn't much of a resource. There was hard to get information about who those people, those members of Congress were. So Michael's uh, uh, concept was to create, and he did, a book that profiles all the members of Congress. And um, it's expanded uh, some over the years from what Michael created. But the basic concept is his uh, stroke of genius. And uh, frankly, I'm in awe of Michael for what he did and what he and how he kept the almanac going. 
Yeah, every cycle it's proven to be a, a really invaluable resource for for people who are trying to understand the, the various elected officials. What does your role look like as chief author? What does that mean? I, I'd been part of the almanac as a, a writer. Who was, I was co-author with Michael Barone in the aughts the, the, for uh, several editions. And then um, I became chief author of the book and with the 2016 edition. So now that we're just, we've just published the 2024, I've been chief author for five editions. The book has a new, gained a new publisher in two, for the 2016 edition, Columbia Books, which is based in Arlington, Virginia. And my job is to, uh, in working with my, my partner, our partners at Columbia Books, I'm in charge of the editor editorial team, which uh, produces, the, as I said, this 2100 page uh, doorstop, however you want to refer to it. And I write a lot of uh, large share of the house profiles. We have three other, we have three senior authors, Lou Jacobson, Lou Peck, Jessica Taylor, who write most of the uh, profiles of 100 senators, 50 governors, and the uh, states they represent. So I work with uh, those senior authors, and we have uh, several, uh, what I refer to as our junior writers. They're junior only in age. They, they're very knowledgeable and, and well-informed. They tend to be reporters who write about Congress and about politics. They're based here in the Washington, D.C. area. So I manage the editorial team, and I work with uh, our, da- our various vendors of uh, data about uh Congress uh, redistricting and about the districts and data about the individual members. So it's uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of information coming in, and we we manage it. Uh, we to produce a book uh, every uh, two years, and um, I guess uh, and and one other. Uh, an important part of the Almanac team is we have uh, a group of researchers who in- help to inform the writers by presenting, uh, preparing, compiling news clips and other f- uh, sources of information so that we, the writers, are informed of what we are writing. So we have about a half dozen researchers and they produce a file, electronic, uh, a set of electronic clips, a uh, source of information that... Um, is very well organized and is essential to what we do. Yeah, Ballot staff had the really wonderful experience of getting to participate and contribute to that a few years ago. So we can attest to the really valuable experience there for them. And listeners who are interested in getting their own copy of the Almanac uh, can check out the link in the show notes. If you're going to purchase a copy, you can use the discount code that Rich has been kind enough to provide to us today, ALM24BALLOT, which you can get in the show notes. And I'll mention that again at the end as well. So I'm curious, Rich, though, how has the process for the Almanac changed over the years? What's What's been different about how the Almanac has produced now, say, versus what it was like in, say, the 80s and 90s? Good question. Way back in the day, Michael Barone, as kind of the the chief author, and and he did, frankly, did a a large amount of the writing uh, in the the early years. And he, too, relied on news clips so that he was informed about what he was writing. And and, but a major way in which uh, the almanac has changed and our work has changed is because of the the computers that we talked about earlier. So when Michael started the book, he would get 
uh, order newspapers and pick up newspapers in Harvard Square, where uh, he was, uh, had been a student and he was still living in Cambridge, as I recall. And he and his a team of researchers would clip the newspapers and put those uh, paper clips in manila folders, in uh, file cabinets, and then they would go, Michael and other writers would go to those manila folders and look at those paper clips and uh, bear the uh, files, write the, write the profiles. Now we we don't, we, everything's uh, digitized. We don't have uh, manila folders and, and we don't really re- work with, uh, even though my, my the desk where I'm sitting has a lot of paper around it, most of uh, my work uh, and the information that I that I use is uh, is is digitized. It's uh, is electronic, and um, I guess I'd make one other point. Uh, at what I've described uh, the, the digitization of our work is is largely positive. The more complicated factor, and it has some downsides, but we we work at work with it. Is that we in getting information about the members of Congress and their states and district, we. We have to rely and uh, on other sources because there's just it's a big country. There's 535 districts and members of Congress. We're not going to know who they are. So over the decades, the 50 years since the Almanac started, we've relied heavily on news sources, newspapers, magazines, etc. The downside, as you know, Jeff, and your your readers and our, our listeners here know, is that quality and the amount of newspapers in our daily lives has decreased. So that there's, frankly, there's less information available through newspapers about members of Congress. So we have to find and do find, we have to go elsewhere uh, uh, for information about members of Congress, whether we, we will rely on the, the websites of the members of Congress themselves, which can be useful to an extent. Obviously, they're some they're not always uh, impartial. So we, we take those the the congressional websites as a resource, but and then um, another change uh, since the 1970s when when the almanac started is that there are more websites and uh, well, there were no no websites about about politics in the 1970s. Obviously, now there's a lot of websites. Wikipedia is one of them, but there's a lot more. And the these other websites, whether uh, it's uh, Washington-based. Uh, News operations such as uh, Roll Call or Politico or The Hill, we we rely heavily on those resources. We also, and I mentioned, obviously, we rely on Balpedia. We also rely on political websites in that exist in many states around the country. And again, with the help of our researchers, they provide information about uh, local members of Congress that come from these often state based uh, websites that are, are quite good. Yeah, the information flow from state capitals and from state political journalists. We, we were talking about that in 2014 and again in 16. And I think each cycle that we've we've met and got to know each other, we, we talk about the, the, you know, the sort of the demise of political journalism and the reduction in that in the sort of labor force there. And each time we think we're kind of hitting the bottom, I, I don't think we've reached that yet, unfortunately. So I can imagine that is certainly a challenge for the researchers. 
how does the online presence of readership, how does the online presence of, you know, sort of competition and political websites, how does that manifest with, you know, what is a typically has been a voluminous paper book that people want to have on their desk, like, like I have, and like other journalists have, what does that look like for you in the online age? How does it, how has the almanac moved into the online space over the years? Well, we, the, most of our, uh, readers access the almanac through, uh, through the print editions, either hardcover or, or, or softback. But we do also uh, make sell the, the almanac in digital version for a, a lower price. And um, and that's available through our website, uh, which uh, the almanac, www.thealmanacofamericanpolitics.com. But frankly, my experience is that even with all the great digital work that you at and Balpedia and, and other uh, political websites perform. Uh, the the political community, in my experience, remains strikingly um, dependent on paper, uh, on on print edition. So, um, and there are lots of almanac uh, readers who will have their editions of the almanac on their desk, uh, as, as 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 I do, as you do. So we we keep uh, back editions in print re- readily accessible. But ultimately, as as, as you suggested, uh, Jeff, we all of us in, uh, in the political world, I think, are moving in in your direction of of having of being more uh, digitized. What are you most excited about for this next uh, edition? Well, I'm excited that we completed it, number one. And number two, that we, it was, it's a challenge every 10 years to rewrite all the, and we did, the the profiles of all 435 House districts. Uh, one caveat, there's six states that only have one district, so we ignore, we don't write, it's actually 429. Those are the easy ones. <laughs> <laughs> so what excites me and what, and what was the challenge was first to understand, to await information from the states about how the district lines changed. And it varies, obviously, from one state to another, the extent of change. In some states, my home state of Massachusetts, the lines changed barely at all. In your state, Jeff, of South Carolina, the district uh, where where you live, of, of Charleston, changed quite a bit to uh, give uh, some additional protection to the local uh, Republican member of the House, uh, Nancy Mace. The challenge that we faced in in rewriting all the districts was first to understand how the districts have changed and then to uh, describe that for our readers. And then we all always want to make the book seem relevant, timely to our readers. So that I was just in preparing for our discussion, I looked to uh, our profile of the district where, where, where you're sitting right now in Charleston. And um, just as it happens, and as you know, with Jeff, there's a new museum, an African-American museum in uh, in Charleston that opened yep. in the past that's year. Right so that's something we described in, in the Almanac or in my home state of Massachusetts. We described uh, how... Uh, the Harvard University campus has expanded or Logan right. Airport outside of Boston uh, has uh, has grown. We want to make all, all parts of America, the 500, the 435 districts, the 100 states, we want to make these places seem timely, seem relevant to as, as, as relevant as we can to daily life, not only in politics, but to try to understand what's going on in America. 
Yeah, those uh, those profiles really are an amazing snapshot in time as well. I mean, if you go back and look at old Almanac editions, which you're able to do because you have all of them, it's pretty incredible and remarkable to read about what you know a certain district was like. You know, whether it's in the you know 1982 or in 1996, it's kind of like you know, I've got this great set of encyclopedias on my bookshelf from 1903, and they were my grandmother's, and it's incredible to read about what were people publishing in encyclopedia back then. So I'm sure you could, you could really you know tell a great story about America through the you know through the series of almanacs over time. What do you see with the future of the almanac? How do you see it unfolding uh, as we we kind of enter this next presidential cycle and then the years after that? Where, where is it heading? Well, we want to remain relevant. We want to keep our readers informed. I mean, one of the the, the in, in thinking about the future of the almanac as and again you know this yourself through your work at Ballopedia, that so much of America's political life has become so polarized. There are so few resources that attempt to be nonpartisan, if I can put it in those terms. The Almanac, uh, you you do it at Ballopedia and you're very, very skillfully. It, it's a challenge for us and we take it very seriously at the Almanac that we remain nonpartisan and that we want Every profile, every word of the almanac needs to be, needs to be, and it's an important objective. It everything needs to be seen as fair, balanced, to, to use the term, by all of our readers, whether they're uh, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, whether in the North or the South. It's we want it. If I can get specific, we want the, a profile of Marjorie Taylor Greene, the conservative congresswoman from outside of Atlanta. We want her profile to be read. And viewed as fair by people on the left and right, just as we want a profile of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from from New York City. We want her her profile to be uh, to be balanced and and informative to our readers. So that's if there's any challenge, it's maybe the biggest challenge we face is how to stay balanced, even handed, nonpartisan in a world that is becoming anything but even handed. Yeah, it's a it's a very uh, very similar situation that we experience here at Biopedia when we think about our readers as well. So it's perhaps one of the reasons why we've had we've kind of shared a, a kindred viewpoint on on writing about and covering uh, our our political system and and helping inform readers whether it's the journalist trying to cover the election or the voter who's reading the work produced by the journalist. So my experience and I ref- is that the members of Congress, the the political figures whether they're on the left or the right, they ultimately appreciate, they want to have resources that can be read by people, uh, by by the political community uh, broadly defined. So they, uh, whether they're on the, the right or the left, the political right or left, or in between, they appreciate what we do because uh, it's, it's, it's important that everyone that this uh, broad political community, this our broad nation, uh, understands who these people are and what they do and what, what their interests are. You know, a Marjorie Taylor Greene or an Alexandria Ocasio-Cartez, just not even with their different partisan backgrounds, each of them and the other members of Congress, the 435 members of the House, they deal with each other. They need to understand and, and who these other members of uh, the House of Representatives and of the Senate, who they are. And uh, we are a resource, we believe, or are pretty confident that helps the political community, the members of Congress, their staff, the lobbyists, uh, state and local uh, people. We help 
the broad political community to understand what drives and who drive who these people are who drive American politics. Yeah, there's something about putting uh, we like to say warmth in 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 a in a profile of an individual and humanization of uh, political figures from from across the board. That requires continuing. I, I view my work as a journalist, as chief author of the Almanac, as a kind of for myself a continuing education in American politics. It changes. It really changes every day, every week, and uh, we we, it does. we we need to keep ourselves. Uh, Fresh. Well, Rich, it's great to see you. It's been a long time, but uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for your expertise. It's fun talking about the Almanac, and I look forward to uh, flipping through it and, and reading it on the on the internet as well. So thanks for coming on, and uh, have a great rest of your uh, odd year as we move into the even-year election cycle. My pleasure, and good luck to you and your colleagues at Ballotpedia. And for our listeners, you can order this year's edition of the Almanac at the link in our bio. And don't forget to use our discount code ALM24BALLOT for 15% off. Make sure you subscribe to On the Ballot wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jeff Ballet, and thanks for listening.